Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Chester Allen, and he'll be answering your most important questions on Yellowstone runners. The show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Chester a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. You'll see a form on the right column. Just fill in your name and email address, and we'll keep you informed. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. So if you have to leave early, you can return to the website at any time and uh, listen to the recording uh, at your leisure. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group, Inc., doing business as Ask About Fly Fishing. Recordings or transcriptions of this program cannot be distributed or sold in any form. When we return, we'll be talking with Chester Allen about Yellowstone Runners. Baja Fly Fishing Company is dedicated to fulfilling your vacation dreams. And just so there's no mistake, they derive as much pleasure helping a novice improve as they do fishing with a pro. From the casual to the hardcore, they can match your expectations with their experience and coaching. A vacation with Baja Fly Fishing is more than a fishing trip. It's a full-on Baja experience that you will remember forever. They know the Baja after 40 years of traveling its back roads, kayaking its shoreline, surfing and snorkeling while pioneering fly fishing techniques that have evolved into the tactics used today. They are well-versed in fly fishing the beach, in kayaks, on pongos, and are well-versed in all tackle types. Join them in pursuit of rooster fish, dorado, marlin, sailfish, wahoo, jack creval, yellowfin, skipjack, and many other species. Learn more about Baja Fly Fishing Company by visiting their website at BajaFlyFish.com. Again, that's BajaFlyFish.com. Before we introduce Chester, we'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. On our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to the Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. Now, you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Chester's section that says, click here to register for our drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a copy of Chester's book, Yellowstone Runners. Thanks to Chester for providing this as a prize tonight. And um, here's how you can win Chester's book. First, you must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. The question or, or question, sometimes I turn it into a two-part question, will be about something we talk about during the show. And you must submit your answer along with your name and location using the text box on our homepage. So listen closely and use your best typing skills. Take some notes and maybe you'll win Chester's book. Uh, our guest tonight is Chester Allen. Uh, Chester, a fly angler since childhood, fell in love with sea-run cutthroat fishing when he moved to Olympia, Washington in 1996 to join the staff of the Olympian newspaper. Olympia is located at the southern end of Puget Sound, and the grounds is ground zero for some of the best sea-run cutthroat trout fishing on the planet. Most of this fishing is in the salt water of Puget Sound, and uh, Chester eventually Became, became the paper's outdoor columnist, a uh, position he held from 2001 to 2010. Chester is now uh, executive editor of the Sports Car Market Magazine, which is based in Portland, Oregon. A graduate of the University of Oregon School of Journalism and Communication, Chester's worked for Northwest newspapers and magazines for more than 20 years. 
Chester's book, Fly Fishing for Sea Run Cutthroat Trout, was published in 2012, and his second book, Yellowstone Runners, was published in 2017. Chester still makes the short run to Puget Sound several times a month to pester those Sea Run Cutthroat Trout. He loves to explore Puget Sound's world-class cutthroat fishing. Uh, Chester also loves fly fishing for smallmouth bass on the Columbia River and fly fishing for trout in Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, and Yellowstone National Park. Chester's blog is located at watermagic.typepad.com. That's watermagic.typepad.com. Well, Chester, welcome back to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Thanks, Roger. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's been a while, and last time we talked about those sea-run cutthroat trout, and uh, tonight we'll talk about uh, rainbows and browns, it sounds like. Um, we've got, uh, you know, I, I wasn't really aware until I saw your book and read your book about Yellowstone runners. So um, I'm sure there's a lot of other people that aren't familiar with it either. So let's just start right there with uh, what is a Yellowstone runner? Well, a Yellowstone runner, generally speaking, is a trout that's been living in Hebgen Lake in Montana, and it's usually a brown trout or rainbow trout, and they average between 16 inches long. Um, the average fish is about 18 inches long, and they go all the way up to about 30 inches, if you're really lucky. And in the fall, starting in September, they um, start migrating up the Madison River, and the Madison River flows out of Yellowstone National Park. So these fish swim up the Madison River, and they're eventually going to spawn. And that's why we call them runners, because they're running up the river. But they're not ready to spawn yet, and so it's sort of like a steelhead run in the Pacific Northwest. The fish are filling up the river. They're really aggressive, and they're big. So it's an exciting fishery. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, you say rainbows and browns. Um, mm-hmm. Now, generally, the browns are fall spawners, right? But rainbows are usually That's spring correct. spawners. Is that different up up on uh, the Madison and coming out of Hebgen Lake for the rainbows then? Well, I think rainbows are an interesting fish. I've seen rainbows spawning in Oregon's Deschutes River in July, so... But I think for the this fishery, I think mostly the rainbows are chasing the browns up to eat eggs and ah, also okay. to, you know, they're, as you know, rainbows, wherever you find rainbows are cutthroats, and if there's eggs in the water, they're going to want to eat them. Yeah. So, yeah. and it's usually about 50-50. You, you have um, 50% browns and 50% rainbows in the river at any given time on this run. Is there any kind of a spring run then? Were rainbows spawning? Do they run up there in the springtime? Well, it's my understanding when I talk to the Yellowstone Fisheries people and to my friends at Blue Ribbon Flies, a lot of the rainbows that run up actually stay in the river until January and February when they when they actually spawn. So they're oh, sort of okay. like they sort of act like a summer steelhead on the Deschutes, where you have summer steelhead. Deschutes is an organ. You'll have summer steelhead coming up the Deschutes from August to through November, and these fish aren't going to spawn until you know, December or January or February. Yeah. Huh, interesting. Yeah, so yeah. they've just kind of adapted to the, the area to suit their purposes and uh, makes for really nice nice fishery <laughs> having both of them yeah. there out of the lake, right? Yeah. 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 They, I, I, I always think – I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I always think of these fish. In my book, I mentioned it. This is basically steelheading in the Rocky Mountains. You know, these fish act a lot like steelhead, especially the rainbows. The browns, you know, there are sea-run brown trout, you know, all over the world, really. And so it's very natural for them to come out of a big lake like Hebgen and run up a river every fall. 
Yeah, they, do the fish look different in coloration than when you, you know, are, are they going into any kind of a spawn color or anything when they're coming up? Not really early in the season. When, when, uh, when I, from September through early October, the brown trout look like brown trout. You know, they're, okay. they're you know, they're that, that orangish brown color and with, you know, black spots and, and red spots and stuff like that. You'll see the male starting to develop kipes a little bit. And but while this fishery lasts, which is usually from September through November, because there's no fishing in the park after November, um, but we don't really see them when they're really colored up to spawn. And the the uh, rainbows come in kind of silvery. They look a lot like half pounder steelhead out of the out of the uh, like the Rogue River or early run to shoots fish. They look kind of steelheady, but once they've been in that river for a couple weeks, they they, you know, get a big red band on them and everything like that, like you'd expect to see. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, are there other places in Yellowstone that have runners like this out of other lakes, or is this unique? There are. There are. There, um, there are fish that run out of, the, out of the Yellowstone River up in the north part of the park, and they go up the Gardner River, and that's also browns and rainbows and some, and some cutthroat. That's also a fall fishery. There's also fish that run... Uh, from I think it's Lewis Lake, and there's a channel there that that brown trout and smaller lake trout run up into the into the channel between these two lakes, and it's pretty much runner fishing. So runner fishing isn't isn't exclusive to the Madison or to Yellowstone. Any place where you have river flowing into a lake that has trout into it, there'll be fish running up that up that river to spawn. What makes Madison different is that. You're fishing in Yellowstone, number one, which is, you know, you're fishing in a, yeah. in a pretty much a raging wilderness as soon as you step out of the car. And also that you have a lot of um, exceptionally well-fed big trout coming out of Hegman and rolling up the Madison River. Yeah, I've never fished Hegman, but I hear that in itself is an incredible fishery. <laughs> it's a, it's amazing. Yeah. It's absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, that's another whole show in and of itself, I'm sure. Um, Absolutely. Now, now, when did you first start fishing, uh, you know, the, the, the Madison for these runners, and, and how did you come to be there? Well, I've gone and fished at Yellowstone every year since I turned 18 years old. I'm 57 now. And I used to, the only time, the only year I've missed between 1980 and 2018 was during the 88 fires where I was halfway to Yellowstone and I turned around and headed back for Oregon simply because I, I thought I'd, it just wasn't a great time to go fishing there. And I usually used to go in um, June. And I like June because the Madison, the same part of the river that I'm fishing during the fall, had great mayfly hatches, blue-winged olives, pale morning duns. There would be some holdover fish from this run, so occasionally you'd get into a really big fish on a dry fly. And a lot of the other rivers I really like were fishing well then, like the fire hole, and I'd go down to the, the Henry's Fork in Idaho, which is about half hour away. And, you know, I just love the fishery. One year I ended up um, getting sort of tied up with work, and I couldn't get away until September. And I'd read books by Charlie Brooks and other famous Yellowstone writers, and they wrote about this run. And they talked about the, this place called the Barnes Holes, which I knew where it was because I'd driven and looked at it, even though it doesn't fish very well in, in June or July. So about 14 years ago I found myself in Yellowstone after Labor Day, and I went to the Madison, and I fished up um, basically what we call 
the meadow section or the, near the place we call the junction pool where the, the given and the, and the fire hole come together to form the Madison. And there's all these, you know, rutting elk and everything, and it was pretty spectacular. And I found a part of the river when I was catching, you know, 10 to 12-inch trout on a blowing dollar patch, and I hooked this massive fish. It was this little dimple I set up, and this big fish just vaulted in the air and, you know, took me around a couple of weed beds and broke me off. And I went and sort of collapsed on the bank, and my mind said, you know what, you're catching those fish that you read about in those Charlie Books books. So I thought, son of a gun. So I jumped into what I went into West Yellowstone and I uh, started talking to Craig Matthews and John Jurichek, who are uh, the gurus of Yellowstone sure. fly fishing. Yeah. And they said, I said, okay, I've, I've caught one. And they said, well, good for you. And, this, <laughs> and they gave me sort of a, <laughs> they sort of gave me an update on flies and, and where to go and everything like that. And the next morning, I found myself at the Barnsholes, which is a sh- really short drive from West Yellowstone. You you go in through the west entrance, and then you turn down. You're less than a mile in the park, and you turn down a dirt road, what was then a dirt road. And then uh, you're at these places where it's kind of rocky, fast water, deep, rocky, fast water. And I'm fishing a bully bugger just like, like I was fishing, a, swinging a fly on the Deschutes for summer steelhead. And I was working my way through a hole called um, Cable Car, which is a really famous hole, and Charlie Brooks writes about it a lot in his book. So I'm thinking, I'm really waiting in the footsteps of Charlie Brooks, so I'm feeling really great. And there was, at the time, there was a big uh, root wad in the middle of the run, and I thought, that's that's a place where I'd expect to catch a steelhead. And as soon as my fly swung in there, I got this hellacious strike. A big rainbow jumps out of the water, runs me all over the river, and I land it, take a couple pictures. And I'm sitting on the bank, and I thought, this could become addictive. <laughs> So that's how I got started. It did become addictive. (laughs) Absolutely. It's the happiest addiction I've ever heard of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're coming from, you know, it struck me as, okay, here's Chester. He's driving all the way from Oregon to fish in Yellowstone, and you've got some great fishing in Oregon and and Washington right in your backyard, right? Absolutely. I, I split my time right now between Portland and Hood River and also Puget Sound, and on my trip to Yellowstone, I usually drive up 84, so I'm driving over the mouth of the, the Chutes River, the John Day River, you know, a lot of really <laughs> famous rivers, yeah. and I think to myself, you know, you're driving away from a lot of big red-side rainbow trout and steelhead right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what but, are you doing? You know, yeah, it's kind of crazy, but at the same time, no places like Yellowstone where you have you know, herds of elk and, and your bears and wolves and bison and all this stuff is all in front of you. And yeah. if you're fishing, you're getting away from the road and you're sort of in that environment. And it sort of feels like going to Alaska in a way, but not so, you know, it, it's really strange. It takes, it's, it's exactly 800 miles from my house in Hood River to Yellowstone National Park. And it's a fast drive. <laughs> You make it a fast drive, right? Yeah. You bet, you yeah. bet. Well, you know, once you hit Idaho, the speed limit is like 80 miles an hour. So you know, you yeah. can really, you can really bang along when you hit Idaho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good, good. Yeah, it's um, yeah. So for uh, for a few hundred bucks in gas, and you're there, huh? And uh, exactly, exactly. And, uh, a lot closer than Alaska. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, when does the the run actually start and end, would you say? You know, when is the, the best time to be fishing there? 
Well, Craig Matthews tells me the first runners start coming into the Madison in August, like mid-August, and he says most of them are, you know, 16 to 18-inch male brown trout, and he says they don't want to bite, and they kind of zip up into the into the upstream to where there's a lot of Spring Creek-like water. It's really weeded and, and clear and, and very even currents, easy wades, and that's sort of the beginning of things. To my way of thinking, when I've been fishing the run, I really think of the run really where you start to get numbers of biting fish in the river. I always think of it as right around the 10th of September, you start, you know, getting fishable numbers of fish in. And then I tend to notice big pulses of fish right around um, the 20th, right around the, 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 the autumn, autumn equinox. And usually during that period, Yellowstone gets quite a few rainstorms come rolling in. So you get a sharp change in weather and you get a lot of rain. And I think that rain really and the, and the, just the change in the world really gets the fish moving upstream. If it's raining in Yellowstone and it's the middle of, of September, you should be fishing the Madison River because fish are moving and they're biting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then going on and talk, I usually fish the first week of October. My usually trip is the my usual trip is the last two weeks of September and the first week of October. And going into October, you, you, the longer the the further you go in the calendar, the more fish there are in the river, and they spread out. You know, you'll have fresh fish down by Baker's Hole, which is where right on the border of Yellowstone National Park, all the way up to the lower parts of the Gibbon and Firehole Rivers. And a lot of fish will then will be in the, this weedy Spring Creek water from Seven Mile Bridge upstream. And that's where I like to catch them best because then you're, you know, with a four-weight rod and a, you know, a 5X or 6X leader and you're fishing small flies to either rising fish or fish bulging to emerging caddis. And there's nothing that gets your attention like hooking a 20-inch trout on a 20-foot-long leader or 18-foot-long leader with 5X and it starts running towards a weed bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen those weed beds. Um, in fact, I um, I didn't have – I know I fished that – that section and yeah, it's like channels of, of uh, you know of water between weed beds. You know, it's, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, 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 it's kind of tough to fish there. Um, uh, so you usually stay normal stay is two to three weeks when you go up there. Then yeah, I try and stay three weeks. I, a few years ago, I made a deal with my boss where I I said I'm a magazine editor and I said, listen, you know, I have I have this thing I really like to do in the fall and I like to do it for a long time and. So I made an arrangement with them where I'd have basically three to three and a half weeks every fall to go do what I wanted to do. I call it my walkabout, and it's sort of become set in stone with how my life is and my professional life is. So I really like to be there for at least three weeks. And the reason for that, number one, is it's my favorite place in the world. Number two is if you've given yourself that much time, you're going to hit some really good fishing. You're going to have slow days and you're going to have fast days. But you know, if you're there for a week and it's bright sunny days every day, yeah, you're not going to really hit the best fishing. You've got to sort of be there when it's good, and it, that takes an investment in time and craziness, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tough. You know, it's it's kind of like you know when you go, uh, you know, you go to some place remote fishing, you know, where, wherever Costa Rica, Belize, Alaska, and you go for a week. You know, you kind of have to keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> that whole week that you're going to have some good fishing. It doesn't matter whether you're in the tropics or the 
Arctic or, or wherever, you know, because, like you say, that weather is such a big factor. Um, Absolutely. Know, whether it Absolutely. needs to be bright and sunny or it needs to be cloudy and rainy. Uh, uh-huh. But, um, yeah, because, you know, it, it doesn't really make sense to go anywhere for three days or so because you, you don't. You know, you don't know what you're going to get. Like what you said, you know, the fishing could be terrible for three days straight. Yeah. Fourth day could and also be if outstanding. You have, yeah, and also if you have that extra time, you can do some exploring. You know, I I like to drive up to uh, to the other end of the park and fish for Yellowstone Cutthroat in the Lamar River or or Soda Butte or, or or hike into Slough Creek for a change of pace. And you know, Yellowstone Cutthroat are absolutely gorgeous fish, mm-hmm. and you get to see this beautiful place where there's all this wildlife running around and it's it's at its peak in beauty and there's it's just it feels like the place to be to me yeah yeah for sure for sure well we need to take a quick break here uh, chester but uh, we'll be right back and talk more about uh, uh actually fishing this this incredible stretch of water in yellowstone so stick with us and we'll be right back watermaster is dedicated to providing their customers with the highest quality inflatables on the market as well as an unbeatable customer service and product support. They are best known for their signature products, the Watermaster Grizzly and Kodiak rafts. These rafts are lightweight, compact, durable, versatile, and safe. The Watermaster rafts are everything your personal watercraft should be. They have been used by anglers and hunters all over the world for over 15 years, including Dave Whitlock, one of fly fishing's greatest innovators. Dave said, with my Watermaster, I can enjoy more fishing per hour than any other method I've tried. After two and a half years of testing 15 models of kickboats, I'm convinced that the Watermaster is the ultimate personal flotation craft for warm and cold water fly fishing. Visit Watermaster today. Take a look at the ultimate personal flotation craft. Go to BigSkyInflatables.com. Again, the website is BigSkyInflatables.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Chester Allen about Yellowstone Runners. If you'd like to ask Chester a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com. Use that Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll try to answer your question on tonight's show. Uh, and we do have some questions coming in. Um, okay, so here's one talking about uh, time of year. He says, I'm going to, this is Mark Altman in Greenwood Village, Colorado. I'm going the second week of September. How is that time and where is best? So I think you just said that's 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 the start of uh, the, the good fishing, isn't it, Chester? Yeah, it's the start of the good fishing, and it's a good time to go. Um, there's no bad time to be in Yellowstone, but if you want to catch these fish, he, he's in that window for sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, during that, that period, a lot of people think, and sometimes I believe this and sometimes I don't, that most of the fish are concentrated in the lower part of the Madison, say, from Baker's Hole up to Seven Mile Bridge, which is the only bridge on the Madison in the park. And um, a lot of people will fish the lower river, so they'll be fishing the Barnes Holes or they'll be fishing Beaver Meadows, which is between downstream of, of Barnes Holes and a little bit upstream of Baker's Hole. And that's probably the most remote and um, berry part of the Madison River. It's also the place where you get the most solitude. It's a beautiful, wonderful spot, and that's where I would fish that time of year. Okay, okay. Uh, also off the Internet here, Phil in Kentucky asked, what were the what are the fish eating in the lake that allowed them to get so big? Lots and lots of bugs. Um, Hebgen Lake is really famous for huge hatches of calabatus mayflies and caddis and midges, and these fish spend most of the year cruising around with their mouths open like a basking 
basking whale or something like that, and they're just <laughs> sucking down this food. I mean, they just eat and eat and eat. And, you know, when you fish the west, there's legendary trout lakes that they have so much food, to, and you can catch the fish. The fish are extraordinarily large, and not only in Hebden Lake, but like, say, Henry's Lake, you know, which is a half hour away. Um, these big, shallow lakes that get that have fertile rivers flowing into them, these fish put on incredible amounts of length and, and weight in a very short time. Okay. Um, at this point in the show, Tester, I always ask my guests, you know, what's going on in your fly fishing world. So tell us what you're up to and uh, what you got planned here. Well, since I got back, I got back from Yellowstone on October 5th, and I had to put a magazine out, which took two or three days. And then I headed to the Deschutes and did some steelhead fishing, and got into some nice steelhead, and start and did a lot of trout fishing in the back eddies, which is one of the unsung great things to do on Oregon's Deschutes River in the fall. Is while everyone's chasing steelhead, you have you know 16 to 20 inch redside rainbows tipping and sipping on blue winged olives and and back eddies, so I've been doing that. I've been uh, putting the finishing touches on a book that I've been writing for the past couple of years, and it's about sort of creeping around the, the back roads of, of Washington and Oregon and finding pretty much untouched bass fishing, both smallmouth bass and largemouth bass fly fishing. And um, that's sort of been a, a, a fun thing for me over the past few years. It's fun to find small farm ponds or even fish the Columbia River. There's a lot of really good bass fishing on the fly in, in, uh, in this part of the world that a lot of people don't know about. Wow. Yeah. And when do you think that book will be coming out? I'm thinking in about a year. Um, okay. I, I've, I've sort of got a first draft done, and, and I, I, I actually read through it last weekend, and I felt like, oh, there's a couple more things I need to put in here, and I, I could definitely – my, my writing can always use some editing, so I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna do some rewrites here. But it's been for me writing a book is fun. It's 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 uh it's like taking a long cool drink of water in the morning. You know, it just feels good to get all these stories out. <laughs> well, good. Well, you will have to let me know when uh, when you're ready to when that is published, and we'll have to do another show and talk about that that experience because that's kind of unique. Uh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of people would be that. interested in, in what, what you found out. You know, with your your quest there, so uh, yeah, good, good. And you have uh, you keep up on your blog, uh, which we mentioned earlier. Um, yeah, I've sort of I've sort of slept off on my blog lately. Um, I haven't been doing too much blog posting. I've been doing a lot of uh, I've been writing columns for Midcurrent, www.midcurrent.com, which is I think one of the better um, fly fishing websites out there, and. Um, it's been fun doing that. And if, if you want to find my stuff there, you can just go go to uh, to the front page of Midcurrent and just type my name into the search thing, and all the stories will pop up. Great, so, great, good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, back to uh, Yellowstone and the Madison River here. Um, when you go fishing, what, what are the accommodations like in the area? I mean, I, you know, we all have our different needs from people that just love to sleep in a tent to having a bit of comfort, uh, what's, what's the availability of lodging close by there or other types of accommodations? Well, if you want to, you can camp in a tent right in the park. If you want to, you can camp in a tent at a campground outside the park. You can stay at a one-star motel. You can stay at a five-star resort. I mean, all this stuff is, is right there. Right there. And, huh? um, 
I feel like I'm getting older now because when I first started going to Yellowstone in the fall, I would I would camp in a tent, and, and I really liked it. But the only part I didn't like about it was waking up in the morning and putting on my clothes when it was 25 degrees. And, and right. <laughs> it, was, it was an act of courage to uh, get up in the mornings. So nowadays, the place that I usually stay, and people laugh at me for doing this, but bear with me, is there's a KOA campground about six miles outside of West Yellowstone. And they have these little cabins called camping cabins, spelled with K's. And they're well-made little log cabins, and they have a desk and, you know, there's heat and, and power and, and a bed that you bring your own bedding for. And you have to you have to hike to the bathroom to take a shower to, to do other things. And But I, I like it because it's nice and quiet there. It's sort of in a little grove of trees. Um, in the evenings, I'll, I'll see deer filter down through the through the campground, which I like. And uh, so I really like that, and sometimes that closes down at the end of September, so I then I'll move up to West Yellowstone and, and stay in a, a motel or a hotel for a week or so. So if I'm in Yellowstone okay. in the in the spring and summer, I'm definitely camping in a campground with a tent. Okay. Is uh, after Labor Day, does it uh, kind of clear out? I mean, is it can you find a camping spot really easily or? Yeah, you can. It's pretty easy to find a camping spot um, in the park. It's harder because over the it used to be Yellowstone emptied out after Labor Day, and the only people who were really there were really dedicated wildlife watchers. You know, these people with you know ten thousand dollars spotting scopes and really expensive camper, cameras, and they you know they're they're basically watching the wildlife and taking pictures. And people like that come from all over the world. And then there's the anglers. But now Yellowstone in the fall has been discovered, and it's not as busy as it is in July and August, but there's still quite a few people in the park. And so you should make your reservations, you know, as, as far ahead of time as you can. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, good. Um, so let's talk about the fishing here. Um, tell us where you feel the the fishing starts, um, you know, I mean, and, and what I want to do is kind of work our way up the river from um, okay. Lake. Uh, okay. And um, as you mentioned earlier, with the fire hole and the given create the Madison, so we've got a confluence right. up there. And um, so let's kind of work our way up there and talk about the famous runs and areas and and how they fish and, and what they're all about. So so where do we start? Is it Baker's Hole that we start? Well, let's start in Hebgen Lake, actually. I have some okay. close friends of mine that live in West Yellowstone, and they are Hebgen Lake junkies, and they spend the whole summer there fishing Hebgen Lake. And they also fish it in the fall. And there's the Madison Arm of Hebgen Lake, which is where these fish stage before they're going to run up the Madison. And my friends catch a lot of fish right in Hebgen Lake before they've even started the run. The fish are just moving towards the river mouth, and they're they're eating, you know, bugs, they're acting like normal trout do, they're just really big, and there's a lot of them. So if you leave Hebgen Lake and you're swimming upstream in the Madison with the trout, um, it's sort of a, a, a estuary, and then you go underneath the highway, there's a bridge, and then you find yourself in an area called Baker's Hole, which is a U.S. Forest Service campground uh, right on the river, and Baker's Hole is a famous hole right there at the Madison where a lot of runners hang out, especially at the beginning of the run. And so you're in Montana, and you're on U.S. Forest Service land, and you can fish there and catch a lot of fish. And a lot of people think that 
this is all one big blob of fish that moves up. But what the, these fish go up in waves, just like you would see a salmon run or a steelhead run. You know, there'll be, there might be, there could be a hundred fish in Baker's Hole one day, and they might be all gone the next day. And then there's another batch of fish in Baker's Hole a couple of days later. Hmm. So they they come in they come in waves and go up the river. So, so and if you hike you up, get, yeah, that, that's a place you can park even if you're not camping there. It's a, an you can absolutely park there. You can camp there. Um, it's Baker's Hole itself can be a very busy spot. It's sort of a combat fishery spot. But if you park there or camp there and you don't want to fish with other people, you just start walking upstream. And you walk upstream and you have a Montana license in one pocket and a, your Yellowstone Park license in the other pocket because the river kind of goes back and forth over the boundary there for, you know, for a pretty good ways. And you're never quite sure if you're in Yellowstone or if you're in Montana. And the fish don't care. But the, the, the authorities do. <laughs> the rangers do, yeah. <laughs> so, and this is all. This is mostly swinging flies, you know, like steelhead fishing. You you have a big woolly bugger or a, you know, a, 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 a sculpin fly or, or a small, any kind of a, a fly you'd use to cut steelhead, and you cast across the river and you let the fly swing down, and you take a step and you just swing your way through the run. Um, there are times when you see fish tipping and sipping and rising, and you see also see a lot of people nymphing for these fish there. And all these are perfectly valid ways of catching these fish. So once you get past, you get past, your, when you're solidly in Yellowstone, you're in a place we call Beaver Meadows. And Beaver Meadows stretches all the way from basically the end of Baker's Hole to the Barnes Holes, which we'll talk about in a minute. And this is a really wild part of Yellowstone, even though you're not very far from West Yellowstone. You're in a roadless area. The river makes these big curvy bends. It's, there's some really deep spots and there's some riffle spots. There's some beautiful runs that look, the big rocky rolling runs that look just like a steelhead run on the Deschutes. And the fish are in there. And this is probably the part of the river they get the least pressure because you have to hike into this area of the river. How and far are we hiking here? Well, it depends. You can, you can hike 100 yards and be into fish or you can hike three miles and be into fish. And you can approach Beaver Meadows from either Baker's Hole or you can approach it from walking downstream from the Barnes Holes. So there's two ways to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some extraordinarily um, deep runs in this part of the um, – they're big bend, bend holes where if you sit on the bank and just stare into the water, you'll see giant fish swimming around 15 feet away from you at the bottom of the river. It's extraordinary, the fish that you see. Anyway, so there's bears in this part of the world, and you have to carry bear spray, and you have to keep your head about you. You know, you you um, you don't want to be fishing with the, where the bears are. So you, if you smell rotting meat, you turn around and go back. You don't stick around. Um, you don't go into places where bears like to spend time, like say a thicket of of uh, willow trees. Um, last year I was in this year. In fact, I was in fishing in in Beaver Meadows, and there, a guy comes walking really fast down the down the bank. And there's a stand of willows about 300, 400 yards away, and there's like a tunnel in it, you know, like a, you know, it's clearly a place where bears have been going in and out. Yeah, I call that bear brush. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We had that in Alaska, too. Yeah. 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 And this guy stops, and he goes, he go, and we talk, and, you know, we're talking about the fishing, and he says, well, I'm going to go down there through that through those willows, and there's this place I really like on the other side. I said, you know, that's a bear spot. He goes, oh, no, it'll be fine. You know, and he doesn't have bear spray. He's just like, 
You know, he looks like Mr. Magoo, you know, like things are bad, things are going to happen to this guy. <laughs> and he goes, I say, you know, if I were you, I'd, I wouldn't go in there. And he goes, no, it's good. So he goes trotting down there and he disappears into this hole. And I half expect like to see arms and legs come flying out, you know, like, like he walked into a Cuisinart. Right. But nothing happened. You know, he's, he was fine. And I saw him later in West Yellowstone and I said, oh, you made it. Huh? He goes, yeah, hey, I do it all the time. So he did what I would not do, but you know, we all have to make our own decisions. But this is a really good place to fish. You will see a lot of um, local West Yellowstone anglers, hardcore anglers fishing this area. You will see a lot of guides who have clients who want to, uh, don't mind walking to fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a place where you can really, you know, get into a big pot of fish and, and really catch quite a few big fish in a, in a short amount of time. You can get some uh, once again, there. very much solitude. If it's busy at the barns holes and I want to swing flies, I just walk past the barns holes and just head into into Beaver Meadows. And I have to say Beaver Meadows is my favorite place to swing flies. It is drop-dead gorgeous. Um, there is a ton of wildlife in there. Um, and, you you know, you can be a mile away from your truck and you feel like, you know, you're you're in a roaring wilderness, which, in fact, you are. Mm-hmm. You know, there's animals out there that will hurt you if you, if you are stupid. Do you ever have any uh, experiences with bears? I mean, where you, you've actually seen a bear? While you oh, I see bears on every trip. Yeah, I see bears oh. on every trip. I've had bears. In my book, I talk about I was fishing up on the uh, the other end of this whole thing. I was fishing up on the, the lower Gibbon River, where uh, above where the Gibbon and the fire hole joined to f- form the Madison. And I was fishing my way upstream with the grasshopper. It was pretty early in the season. And I thought it was, and I was kind of on my hands and knees, and there's tall grass. And I looked about 200 yards upstream, this winding, winding river, and I thought it was a, a big bull bison. And I looked again, and it was a big grizzly bear. So I sort of backed my way out of there. So I'm, he's coming downstream, and I'm trying to get, I'm trying to go downstream and stay ahead of him. And so I, you know, I cut across a couple of bends of the river, and you don't want to run or anything like that. And he wasn't chasing me; he was just sort of ambling down the river. And I just thought, I just don't want him to get any closer to me than 100 yards. So I finally made it to the to the road where my, my car was parked. And this, this woman looks at me. She goes, did you see the bear? And I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> I saw the bear. <laughs> she goes, did you get a picture? I said, no. And she looked at me like, what a loser I am. So, but <laughs> most of the time in the Yellowstone, when you see a bear, they have no interest in messing with you at all. They would rather you left them alone and you want to leave them alone too. Yeah. So yeah. Yellowstone's the kind of place where you hope to see bears and hope not to see bears, depending on where you are and what you're doing. So uh, back to the fishing, Baker's Hole, Beaver Meadows. You're talking about swinging flies a lot. Um, yeah. As you would yeah. For and a lot there. of people nymph down. Yeah, and a lot of people nymph down there as well. And um, then you, if you keep hiking upstream, you'll reach the Barnes Holes, which are three holes um, that are connected to a road. So the easiest way to get to the Barnes Holes is when you come into the west entrance of Yellowstone National Park. You go through the gate, then you drive up the entrance road about a mile or so, and then you'll see there's a, a dirt road that off to the left. So you hang a left-hand turn, and you go down, and the road sort of winds through uh, stands of, of lodgepole pine trees, and then it goes down a little grade, which is now paved, and then you end up at a, you see uh, there's a parking area, and then the road, there's a fork, and then there's another parking area, 
about a quarter mile away. And this area, they call it the barn holes because back in the day when they ran people through the park on stagecoaches, there were barns here in this spot and corrals, and this is where they pastured a bunch of horses and kept all the equipment. And if you wander around there, you'll find the old stage roads. You know, you'll find, you know, like a, a rutted road going through the meadow with trees growing up through the middle of it. So this is like a 100-year-old wagon tracks that, or, you know, 80-year-old wagon tracks. Anyway, you get there, and there's a little parking area. And if when you park at the parking area and you look out at the river, that's called Barnes Number 1. If you get out of your car and walk upstream a couple hundred yards, that's what we call cable car. And cable car got its name because there's an old concrete cable car um, foundation on the banks of the river there where they used to cross the river on a cable car. And then if you walk downstream or drive downstream to the next parking lot, um, that's what we call Barnes Number 2. And these areas are probably the most fish parts of the river during the run. And there's a reason for this. There, this is, it's kind of a big river here, and this is deep water, and it's got a little bit of current to it. It's got deep holes, lots of rocks. It's perfect, perfect, perfect holding water for migratory fish. It looks just like runs on the Deschutes or any summer steelhead river. And a lot of people swing flies through this water. A lot of people nymph this water. It's not really a dry fly spot. I've never seen runners really tip and sip up there. Um, and it, because of the bottom and there, there's a lot of lies for the fish, it holds a lot of fish almost all the time. And that means a lot of people go there. And some people fish, spend their whole vacation fishing just the barns holes. And it's a very social scene. I, I have friends, you know, after a while you fish this run, and you see the same people year after year, and it feels like a college reunion when you go back. You know, you see them once a year, and you get to know, you know, you talk family and stuff like that. I don't really like to fish this area when there's too many people around because there's sort of an, it's sort of under a lot of demand. And it's kind of, it's not combat fishing, but it's very sociable. And I kind of tend to want to be by myself a lot. Sometimes I fish it if I have friends there, or I'll, I'll definitely fish these holes if I get there early in the morning and no one's in the water. If I'm there all by myself, I'm in these holes as fast as I can because there's extraordinary numbers of fish in there. Is this uh, so you have where, these? I, I was going to ask you, is this where the, uh, the conga lines uh, form? Yeah, it's very, it's, yeah, the conga line. And there's a, a very strict etiquette that um, you wait your turn to go in, and then once you get in the water, you take a step downstream with every cast. So you cast swing your fly, take a step, cast, swing your fly. Or if you're nymphing, you cast, fish out your fly, take a step, cast, take a – and this means there's always a parade of people going through, and no one just stops and, like, backs up traffic. If you stop and back up traffic, there will be a bunch of people standing on the bank go, rotate, rotate, which is their, their shorthand for you better keep moving because that's how – and this is the only place on this river where there is that kind of a crowd – and where there's that kind of culture. And the huh. rules are there so everyone can fish and and uh, without someone feeling like they're hogging the water. Yeah, so, not my kind of mostly, fishing. But. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. it's not my kind of fishing either. It's, yeah. I'd like to go eat lunch there because I can talk I talk to my friends, you know, and a lot of these guys, you know, they'll sit on – there's benches. You know, there's a bench right there, and they'll sit there, and they'll – you know, tell stories, and it's fun to talk to these people, and most of them are really terrific people and really high-level anglers. They really know what they're doing. And um, But it's it's not my favorite spot. If there's 
if I pull up there and there's a couple cars parked there, I'm going to either go down into Beaver Meadows or I'm going to hike upstream or I'm going to drive upstream to the Weedy Water and fish there. Okay. So, so you're, up, if you're upstream. at the Barnes Holes, upstream, yep. just upstream of Cable Car, the river is wide and shallow. And this is called, a lot of people call it Long Riffle. And it's a big, wide stretch of river that goes up for three, four miles up towards Seven Mile Bridge. You're still, we're still walking upstream here. And the water looks fantastic, but most of it is only about a foot deep. And so there's not a lot of holding water for fish. And I have walked up all the way up, all the way up Long Riffle several times. And I've done this for a couple reasons. There are a few places where there are deep, deep slots along the bank, you know, that are sort of like islands of, of habitat where the fish will stop and hang out there. And you can find some pretty good fishing if you are willing to walk quite a ways up into Long Riffle and look for deep water along the bank. And usually there will be log sweepers into it. And, you know, it's, you can look, you, it's easy to see. You see, you know, darker water with logs sticking in. You go, hey, that's where the fish are. So, and a lot of people and a lot of locals do that. They have spots that they really like. And if you hike up, and lots of times you get up there and you'll see some guy and you'll say, hey, that's that guy who works at Madison River Outfitters or that's that guy who works at at, um, at Blue Ribbon Flies. And, you know, because there's little little spots, like one-person spots that you can fish. And sometimes there's some really big fish in there. So that's anyway, but if you keep on swinging, right? No, you can swing these spots and you can nymph these okay. spots too. Okay. Early in the season, if there's a lot of hoppers in there, you can hopper fish these spots too. Okay. So, um, and I've I've seen I've, fish, I've seen fish rising for dry flies in some of these spots. You know, if there's a big uh, white miller caddis hatch going on, there there'll be fish working. Okay. So this goes on, and um, if we if we can magically like jump out of the river and jump onto the road and, and be in our truck and be driving upstream, as we're driving up the river, you you look out, you, you see there's pullouts where you can pull over and look, and you see this big wide shallow riffle. And then as you get up towards Seven Mile Hole or Seven Mile Bridge, the river gets a little narrower and it gets a lot deeper. And you look over and all of a sudden you don't see bouncing water. You see flat water with great big weed beds in it. You see, and it's a, it turns into a spring creek. It's always a spring creek, but you know, the river really changes where, from like in, in Beaver Meadows and, and Barnes Holes that there's not a lot of weeds. The river is fast. It's deep. It's really rocky. It feels like a free strewn Steelhead River. You get up past Seven Mile Bridge, and it feels like a spring creek. And it's the same river, and it's just it's just changed. changed um, there are parts of yeah. yeah, there are parts of that river up there that remind me of the Henry's Fork at Railroad Ranch. There's a hole I fish there that I call Replica Railroad Ranch because it feels like you know some alien culture, you know, you know airlifted in, you know, a quarter mile of the railroad ranch and dropped it in the middle of Yellowstone. And this is interesting water because it's very difficult to swing big flies in it because you have all these islands of, of weeds, and the, and the fish are in there. And when the fish get into this weedy water, there's still trout, and there's a lot of hatches going on in here. If it's raining, there's going to be blue-winged olive hatches, and these blue-winged olives can be anywhere from size 18 to size 24. And it's really remarkable to walk up on a 24-inch fish that's tipping and sipping on really tiny dry flies. There can also be, usually on a sunny day, there will be quite a few um, white miller caddis emerging. 
And White Miller Caddis are kind of a warm water caddis, and the Madison and the Park is kind of a warm water river. And these caddis will kind of emerge in dribs and drabs throughout the afternoon. And every now and then there's just this massive emergence, and the fish go nuts. And you think to yourself, I'm going to put on a dry fly, and I'm going to catch so many trout. And you dead drift a, you know, a perfect imitation of a size 16 or 18 White Miller Caddis, and the fish ignore it. Because these fish are really locked into, A, the pupa or the emergers that are are in the current. So if you're swinging, a, say, a, soft, a White Miller soft tackle, you will start hooking fish. Or if you have a, like a, say, like a, an iris caddis, and you can make it do a little bit of drag in the current, because these, these bugs hatch and they drag in the current. They run around in the current and they, you know, they leave a wake. And sometimes the fish will be biting that. But my go, my go-to day in and day out way to fish these big fish up in this weedy water is find some of them. And usually I find them when they're rising to, to mayflies or to caddis. Figure out what they're eating and then just feed them. You know, you have to stock the fish. Um, my favorite way to do it is, is get just a little bit upstream from them. And if I think they're eating white millers, I'll tie on a white miller soft tackle and I'll just drop that thing down and I'll just drift it right into in front of the fish's nose. And if they don't eat it on the dead drift, I tighten up the line on the next cast and I swing it in front of them. Um, I really like catching them on the dead drift because I feel like a really terrific angler when I do that. You know, you watch (laughs) the fish tip up and eat it. You know, you go, wow. And then, of course, you have that moment of triumph and then the fish jumps and runs you into a weed bed and breaks you off. So, so, (laughs) yeah, what what happens in the weed beds? How do you... How do you manage them once they're on? Well, this is—I have some serious beliefs about this. This is this is Spring Creek fishing, so you need a long leader. I usually start out with a with a 12-foot leader to 5x, and then if I'm if I'm doing a, a mergers, you know, like a, a White Miller merger, I'll have a, about five or six feet of 5x tippet on that, and because I want to be far away from these fish, because if you get close, they're going to spook. And I need to have a really gentle presentation no matter what I'm doing. But I really like that long tippet because I think it's like a big spring. You know, it, it, the fish can boing around on that. Even the largest fish I've ever, I've ever landed on that river was on a 5X tippet that was that long. And it was this, you know, 15 minute, you know, battle of me running through the weed beds and everything like that. But lots of times those fish will, they'll run and they'll stop and they'll kind of hook under a weed bed. And what you have to do is you have to keep a little bit of pressure on them and wade downstream of them and kind of ease them out from underneath that weed bed, and then they do it all over again. So the, the hookup to landing ratio for me in here is about, oh, I think I probably land about 50% of the fish I hook. So, you know, it's this is it can be sort of not frustration easy. flats in there. It's yeah. not easy, but it's incredibly rewarding, and there are very few people up there fishing this kind of fish. And there's two reasons for this. Number one, you have to be stalking these fish and finding them. You have to know where they live. And the other thing is you have to have the right fly. And the third thing is is you have to be tolerant of losing a lot of them. And a lot of people who come to Yellowstone in the fall, they know they can nymph or they can swing and catch these fish. So why make it harder? And I say... I say it might be a little harder up there, but I feel like I've got more shots at unpressured fish up in the weedy water. And that was really uh, true this year. Uh, um, And and this is the water from Seven Mile Bridge 
almost all the way up to the junction pool, which is where the the gibbon and the and the and the fire hole form the form the Madison. There are stretches of the river where it's rocky and fast, um, but it, just the river up th- through this stretch is there are vast stretches of of slow weedy water. So this sounds like, um, uh, and, and I, I'm noticing from the map really um, what it looks like about two miles, three miles in from West Yellowstone. You're right. The road runs right along the river for all the way up. Yeah. Right? Well, well, there's a, there's an easy way to remember this because the Seven Mile Bridge and the Seven Mile Bridge got its got its name because it's seven miles from the west entrance. Right. So basically, it's seven miles from West Yellowstone. And um, so that's that's sort of seven mile bridges where sort of I think to myself, okay, now I'm in the weedy water, and this is where I change my tactics to being a Spring Creek fisherman. Right. And you can drive all the way up to uh, the you know up to Madison Junction or the Madison Campground, which is where the river becomes becomes a river. And so this is probably like by driving, it's probably six or seven miles, I think. If you walk it, there's a lot longer because the river makes bends away from the road. Right. Um, if you see a spot where there's a bend away from a road and there are no bears there and there are no bison there and there are no rutting elk there, that's a good thing. It might be a good thing to find a parking place and walk across that meadow and yeah. fish that water because um, in Yellowstone, you know, once you get 100 yards from your car or from a parking lot, the fishing gets sharply better. So, and the further you are from your car or the road, the, usually the better it gets. Yeah, yeah. That's usually the way in most parts of the world. It doesn't, yeah. if you're willing to walk a little bit, uh, you'll get away from the crowds. And, uh, yeah. And it seemed that, you know, after reading your book, it seemed like, um, you know, whenever you felt there was too many people or too much pressure in an area, you were able to find another place where there wasn't. So, uh, which surprised me. Um, I've never had a problem finding loneliness on that river during this big run of fish that gets a lot of attention from anglers. Yeah, I've never yeah. had a problem getting getting to a place where I felt comfortable. What rods do you bring out there? Uh, you know, what weight rods? Most of the time, when I'm swinging flies, I usually use a six weight rod and uh, a floating line, usually a weight forward floating line with. A 12-foot leader that's tapering down to 1x or 2x. These fish are not leader shy when you're swinging a, say, a woolly bugger or a, you know, a, a big soft tackle fly. Um, when I'm fishing the weedy water, I go down to a four weight. Sometimes with a weight forward line, if it's windy. If it's not windy, I use a double taper, and I will usually have a 12-foot 5x leader, and then I'll tie on a very long tippet. And sometimes I go down to 6x if, I, if I'm finding – it seems almost preposterous, but to find, you know, 20-inch fish, 24-inch fish, you know, in a little pod tipping and sipping on size 24 mayflies, it happens during this. And you've got to go down to 6x or to, to put on that size 24 fly. And, and, uh, and then now everyone's thinking, how do you think you're going to land these fish? And amazingly, you land a lot of them. A, a small fly is really – lodge well in, in a fish's mouth. And if, if you're patient and, and they don't wrap you all the way around a weed bed, you know, there's a good chance you're going to land that fish. And you can get them, land them pretty fast. These fish get disorientated, you know, in these weeds, and they're lake fish, and so they really don't know where they are. They don't have a, you know, a plan like a, a resident fish would. 
And so they'll jump and they'll run. And if you let them jump and you let them run, a lot of the time you can, you know, get them so you touch them and pull that little fly out and watch them swim away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have some questions. Uh, Phil's asking some questions here off the Internet. Um, he says, what bait fish seem to generate the most enthusiasm? It sounds like it's mostly bug, but you're swinging some some boogers and uh, streamers and so forth too, aren't you? What, what yeah. are you using in there, that regard? There are little minnows in the river, um, but I have never really seen these runner fish whomping on them. Um, number one, you don't see a lot of them, and most of them are in the weedy water. You won't, you don't see much in the way of small fish down, downstream in the, you know, beaver meadows or, or barns holes or anything like that. It's, it's really fast, rocky, you know, rushing water. The only little fish I've actually seen fish actually chase down and eat will be sculpins. And there are a lot of sculpins in this river, and there are sculpins down in the barns holes and in beaver meadows because sculpins like fast, rocky water. So if someone really wanted to fish a, like a solid streamer and, and cast it out and strip it in, you know, like a streamer, I would fish the barns holes and beaver meadows, and I would tie on a woolhead sculpin and and let it swing and then strip it, you know, and you'll catch fish. Uh, you had a, uh, in your book, you, trying to find it here, here it is, um, a fly you developed called the, the barns hole booger, uh, right? Uh-huh. You want to yeah. tell people about how that's constructed and what makes it special? Well, you know, that fly started its life as a steelhead fly on the Deschutes River that I that I tied because I, I really like smaller woolly buggers on the Deschutes for steelhead because they have a lot of action, whether they're swinging or, or on a dead drift. And they always look the same no matter what angle you look at. So you can't. it's hard to, for the fish to figure out your fly is swimming upside down. A barnsville bugger is a pretty simple fly. It's got a two-part tail. One part of the tail is a shorter tag of fluorescent yellow or green, and then I lay an overlay of black uh, marabou on top of that, and I put about six strands of, of pearl crystal flash through that. Then I have a body of cactus chenille and peacock, and I wind that on. Then I use some badger hackle or furnace hackle um, and wind through that. It's sort of a raggedy-looking fly, but for some reason, the, the fish really like it. So it's hard to go wrong with a with a woolly bugger when you're fishing for migratory fish. You're doing that, it says here, in a size 6, um, and you also add a, a bead on the front, right, gold bead? Sometimes I have a bead, and sometimes I don't. Um, okay. In my book, I complain a lot about the bead because these big fish are head-shaking fish, and these are barbless hooks. You can't fish with a barb. And, you know, the silly thing is is we're going to let these fish go, right? But yeah. you still want to, you know, land them or at least, you know, touch them. And I think that bead, when these big fish, you hook them, and, it's, and especially if you hook them not in the corner of the mouth, like, in the, you know, at the top of their mouth or, you know, um, on their snout or something like that, and they start shaking that thing, I think that bead – gives the fly, gives them leverage to shake the hook out. And a lot of people will say, well, if you keep the line tight, that won't happen. Trouble is, they shake it out even if you've got the line really tight. Your rod, your rod tip can be really bouncing. And these fish are big and really strong, and they just start shaking their heads. And you just got to hope it doesn't shake out. And if it's not, if there's no bead on, I tend to hook less fish, but I tend to land more fish. So it's sort of, it's a, it's a compromise like everything else we do in fly fishing. There's no yeah. perfect solution. Yeah, interesting. 
Okay, uh, Chester, we need to take another break, um, but then we'll come back, and I want to talk to you about flies. Uh, you have quite okay. the arsenal that you take with you, so I want to talk about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. Fly Fishers International needs your support. Its conservation projects at both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration habits like Wolf Creek in Idaho and Sands Creek in Upper Delaware and New York, and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish and their habitats, like the peacock bass study in Miami, Florida. Fly Fishers International core values remained unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish to preserve and to promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying and to help ensure future generations can enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be nearly as effective without your help. So if you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community with the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, you can go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. That's flyfishersinternational.org. If you're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, we're talking with Chester Allen about Yellowstone Runners. If you'd like to ask Chester a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com. Use that Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as we can on the show tonight. Um, couple more. I want to address these uh, questions that have come in on the Internet uh, first here before we talk about flies. Well, some of them are talking about flies. First, uh, Phil, uh, uh, long-time listener in Kentucky, you also want to know the health of the fishery. Does it face any challenges right now, or is it, I mean, you've, you've watched it for how many, I don't even want to calculate that, 30 years or more? Um, so, a long time, a long time, yeah. yeah. I think the health of the fishery is, is good, and one of the reasons is, is that you're fishing in a national park. So uh-huh. there are no habitat problems. You know, no one's going to cut. Pollution. You know, no one's going to. Yeah. yeah. And the, the state of Montana manages the fish and have been like pretty well. You know, there's a lot of trout in there, and it's a big lake, and there's sort of, you can catch a lot of fish in Hebgen, but it's not absolutely pristine you know, like you're in Labrador or at the end of a yeah. long flight in, in Alaska. But it's pretty close to that. It's pretty close to that. I would say on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd give it a like an 8.5 to 9 in terms of, I think, being a, a really special fishery. Did um, Is it catch and release and, and flies only uh, throughout this all the area we've been talking about from Hebgen Lake on up? Or is uh, our lures I, I, allowed? I believe that. I believe that you're allowed to keep one or two fish, I think, if you're fishing in Hebgen or on Montana land at Baker's Hole. I'm not entirely sure on that because I've always been just this catch-and-release guy, so right. it's never something I thought about. Once you're in the park, this is a part of the park that is it's the park fisheries management. is basically a, a non-native fish tolerance area, which means that the park has recognized that those breeze brown and rainbow trout, which have been in, you know, in these rivers, these in the Firehole and the, the Gibbon and the Madison for more than a century are part of the, the ecosystem. And you're not allowed to kill any fish in the section okay. of the river. If you catch a whitefish, you're especially not allowed to kill it. So oh. if you hook a fish and, you know, you're supposed to, you got to let it go. And if it's, you know, if, if you hooked it bad and you think it's not going to make it, 
Well, there's a lot of osprey that are flying around up there, and they will soon That'll eat that fish. Take care of that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, good. Um, is fin fishing allowed in the park? Um, there's allowed in certain parts of the park. The Madison in the park is fly fishing only, okay, as good. is the Firehole River. Okay, okay. Um, Phil also asked about, uh, do you use any mouse flies? <laughs> I was wondering if someone was going to ask that question. Um, People think big fish, you know, like in Kamchatka and, you know, think mice, you know, so uh, same in Alaska. Yeah. Um, there's a guy who owns a fly shop in West Yellowstone, and it's, he's, a, he's kind of a famous guy, and he fishes mouse flies in this during the run all the time. Mm. Um, his name is Bob Jacklin. And, oh, yeah, I interviewed Bob, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and Bob, uh, I was in his shop just a few weeks ago, and he has these big mouse flies for sale. And I said, are you tying those to, to be fancy, or are you tying those to catch fish? And he looks at me, and he reaches under the counter and pulls out a couple of photographs. And he's caught some really big fish on swinging a mouse fly in some of this water. Um, I can think of a few spots where this would work, I think. Um the trouble is, is that I think I'm probably going to try it next year, and but I'm not sure if it'll be more fun than having the fish snatch the line out of my hand when I'm swinging a fly, or you know, watching a, a fly, you know, fish, you know, tip up and eat a little fly of mine. It might be, you know, but yeah. I know Bob Jacklin does it, and I actually bought a couple of his flies, and they're sitting on my fly tying desk right now. <laughs> and uh, I look at them and I think, hmm. <laughs> yeah. So well, that's a terrific question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, there you go, Phil. Get your mice out and go up there. Um, yeah, and, uh, and Bob Jacklin certainly knows the Madison, both the upper and the lower. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah, you should really be talking to Bob about this. He knows a lot more than yeah. I do, and I've been fishing yeah. a long time. Yeah. Uh, Geraldo in uh, Boise, he, he wrote in and asked, um, have you used uh, trout spay rods to pursue these fish? Have you observed other swinging flies uh spay and can it be done successfully and consistently there are quite a few anglers who are using regular spay rods and using trout spay rods in the river i have used a trout spay rod once the cable car is is the one run that i think would really cry out for a spay rod because it's got really high banks and um, i see guys spay spay casting it i think well that's what spay was designed to do and i have a trout spay rod and two years ago I, I did a little bit of trout spay through in there, and it was fun. I really like a single-handed rod because on almost every part of this river, you can cast all the way across the river or most of the way across the river with a single-handed rod. And I think a single-handed rod is more fun. Um, there's a uh, – I forget what band it was. There's a band – I think it was Molly Hatchet. They have a song called Flirting with a Disaster. And I really like the feeling of being on the edge of control when I've hooked a fish. You know, I like being in control, but I like really feeling that fish, fish's power. And you lose a little bit of that with a big spay rod. Mm -hmm. The other thing I don't like about spay rod on this river is that I live in the northwest, and this is the hotbed of spay fishing. And, you know, most people are fishing spay rods, not for steelhead. And on that river, if you can hit the buckets, which I mean – you know, spots where there's standing waves or current lines, um, you really need to, and you're, and you're taking a step down after every cast, if you're getting used to booming this, this big spay line across the river, you tend to be 
fishing at a more extreme angle when you're doing your swing. And I think it's more efficient to do a short cast. It's almost, you know, perpendicular to the flow. So it would land on the, you know, on the near the bank directly opposite from you. Then you throw in a mend and it'll swing in an arc below you. And then you take, you know, you take a couple, you know, a, a step or two downstream and you do the same thing. And if you do that, you're going to show your fly to just about every fish in the run. If you're doing a longer cast with a spay rod, you have less control about where your fly is going if you want to mend. Um, and you're further away from the fly, so it's harder to see what's going on. And you're also making longer casts with a shorter arc, which I think puts the fly in front of fewer fish. Finally, I have caught so many fish swinging on that river where I'm watching where I think my fly is, and you'll see a boil, and you don't feel a fish. And this is true if you're fishing summer steelhead, too. The thing to do when you see that, especially on the Madison, is you make sure, you bring in your line, make sure you keep the line at the same length that you had when you made the original cast. You cast again, and just before the line gets to that boil, you give it a little mend. And about 50% of the time, you get a horrendous, beautiful, gorgeous strike, and you're hooked up to a fish. If you're not paying attention to where you think your fly is or you're too far away from it, you're going to miss those moments. And I've seen lots, several spay guys make a long cast, a fish boils on their fly, and they take a step, and then they're casting past the fish. So now if you're fishing steelhead on the Deschutes and a fish boils on your fly, we call them players, you might want to change your fly. If you're fishing the Madison, most of the time you want to show them the same thing. And I just say that out of experience. It seems like if you show it to them again, they come at it really hot. So, so like that's, a, what that's was that? Are, oh, there it is again. <laughs> yeah. So this yeah. is kind of my long-winded way of saying I think spay fishing is really cool. And if you want to spay fish these fish, especially with trout spay on this lower part of the river in Beaver Meadows and and the Barnes Holes, you will see a lot of other people doing it. And it's if you're having fun doing it, go for it. You're going to catch yeah. fish. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Um, okay, the, the flies, um, boy, uh, you wear me out just thinking about tying all these flies. <laughs> well, there, there, there were sort of variations on a the theme here, Roger. So yeah. you notice that a lot of down. the dry flies, are, they're either, most of the hatches you're going to, you're really consistently only going to find three different hatches this time of year on the Madison. You're going to find... Uh, white miller caddis, and so the flies are either white miller caddis dries or mergers, or you're going to find blue-winged olive mayflies, and those, so you'll have dries, sometimes spinners, sometimes emergers. So most of the flies that I that I have in this this pretty long list, I admit, um, are those two bugs. Also, I found fish tipping and sipping on midges a couple times, which kind of made my head explode. And especially if you go early in the season, like especially in September and we have sunny, windy weather, I would fish a hopper if I could. Um, hopper flies, these fish love hopper flies. And wherever you have kind of deeper water along the banks, especially if it's in the weedy water area, the Spring Creek area, there will be fish looking for beetles and hoppers along those banks. So you don't need to bring every one of those flies, but I would bring basically – Emergers and dries that would match a blueing olive in size 18 down to 24. I would bring white miller caddis, uh, dry flies, and emergers, and especially a soft tackle. I would bring uh, your favorite midge flies. I would bring your favorite um, 
hopper, beetle, and ant flies, and your favorite, you know, swinging flies, you know, big soft tackles, woolly buggers, uh, small steelhead flies. And that would pretty much set you up. And if you're feeling insecure and you feel like you don't have any of the right flies or, or you need more, just go to Blue Ribbon Flies in West Yellowstone, and they will happily fill up your boxes for you. <laughs> yeah, they know. They know. Um, yeah, they know. Yeah. They absolutely do know. Yeah, but uh, Blue Ribbon and um, is Craig still there, or he's? I think he's out of that now, isn't he? Well, um, Craig, I, Craig sold the shop to Cam Coffin, yeah. who's a good friend of mine. But Craig yeah. is still in there all the time. You know, Craig yeah. is involved with that, still involved with that that store. And you know, those guys in that shop, Craig and John and Cam, the other people who work there, this is one of the hotbeds of of fly fishing innovation in this country. You know, if, if you fish an ex-caddis or a, or a sparkle dun or an iris caddis, that was a fly that was born right in that shop. And these guys right. are always innovating flies. And I love going in there and talking to them about flies. Half the flies I fish in the Northwest were born in that shop. So it's it's really a, a great place, and they're very friendly, and they always have time to answer questions. I remember standing in that shop you know, 14 years ago, asking him just a ton of questions about fishing these runners. And I've been fishing Yellowstone for a long time, but I had never fished, fished the river at the time of year. And they, they gave me a pretty good good idea of what, what to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing uh, we didn't cover, um, but I wanted to ask you about, uh, from that Madison Junction where, where uh, Gibbon comes into uh, and Firehall joined to, uh-huh. to create the Madison, what's there to look forward to above, you know, along both of those rivers? Well, it's pretty exciting fishing, actually. Um, the Gibbon River, you can follow it along the road. You know, you can when you get to Madison Junction, you you have a choice. You can the road will fork, and you can go up towards the fire hole, or you can go along the Gibbon River, um, which will eventually take you to Norris. And if you drive up the Gibbon River or walk up the Gibbon River, uh, the lower part of the Gibbon River, like um, if you cross the road where the Madison Campground is, and there's a bridge there too. And that's the Gibbon River. That's, that's the very lowest part of the Gibbon River. And it's this windy, deep, silty meadow stream. And these runners hang out in there. And they will, if it's a sunny, windy day and it hasn't, you know, really frozen hard yet, there will be grasshoppers and beetles falling on the water. And if you creep your way up this, this, you know, this lower water and, you know, cast nice hopper and beetle flies into that dark, you know, mysterious water, sooner or later there's going to be a big explosion on your fly. As the river climbs and goes to, goes upstream towards uh, Gibbon Falls, um, it gets a little smaller and narrower, and it becomes pretty much a, like a forest. There are stretches of meadow water, and there are stretches of foresty water, and there are stretches where you'll catch, you know, little rainbows and browns, you know, re- resident fish, and you'll come across, you know, a few big runners in there. And then the runners stop right at, at the bottom of, of Gibbon, Gibbon Falls because no fish can swim up that. So, and this is quite a bit of water. It would take a long time to walk up there and fish it. I mean, you couldn't do it in a day. There's a lot of different kind of water. A lot of people nymph this water and do really well. Um, and if you want to fish the lower fire hole, you, you basically have to get to it. There's two ways. You can either walk up, walk upstream to it from the Madison Junction, and there's some excellent, excellent water up there, and it doesn't get very much pressure. Um, and you can also go drive up, and you can go into the into the Firehole Canyon, and um, 
there's a one-way road that goes through there, and if you have a motorhome, they won't let you do it, but if you're driving a regular car or truck, they will. And there's places to park, and you can walk down to the river, and you'll see, especially in the flatwater sections, and there's big rocky, you know, it's a canyon, um, you'll see really nice fish if there's a hatch going on, tipping and sipping to uh, to bugs, and you can catch runners up there doing that. So basically, they, they, they run up to the falls, and then they're stopped. Um, yeah, both for both rivers, on the Firehole yeah. and the Gibbon, they run up to the falls and they stop. And a lot of locals really like fishing the lower Firehole and the lower Gibbon River a lot. Um, there's, it's, you know, it's the same fishery. Um, it's just a small, little smaller, and you're going to be doing more walking and hiking. And, and right. usually in Yellowstone, that means you're going to have pretty good fishing yeah. if you're willing yeah. to make that walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, and I, I take it you know the the time frame we talked about you know that you'd like to go September 10th through middle of October into there, um, and the fish aren't actually spawning then, right? So it's safe. No, the fish really the don't. Fish. Yeah, the fish yeah. really don't spawn until there's there might be fish spawning now. We're into into November. Um, from what I understand, of talking to the fisheries people and to people who live in West Yellowstone, this like. Most of these fish are spawning in like late November through December and maybe early January. So, and it's just like it's like fishing a steelhead run in the Pacific Northwest. Your fish, these fish are in the river eventually to to, to lay eggs and, and make right. babies, but when they first get there, they're they're not, you know. Yeah. And I I have never fished over spawning trout in my life. I never planned to. Right. Um, That's what it's I was pretty, getting it's at. It's pretty act. Yeah. Yeah. These fish are bright and they're very healthy and you know, follow the rules, have a barbless hook, um, right. you know, and take care of the fish when they come in, you know, revive them and keep them in the water and don't hold them out of the water and take hero shots, you know. If I take pictures of fish, they're usually in the water. Um, I have a, a a digital SLR that, you know, so I can take 30 shots in about two seconds. and You know, I just yeah. kind of hold the leader and bang away the shots and hope it turns out good and then let them go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. The old motor drive. Today's version of the motor drive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so, um, well, we got to wrap this up. We're, we're out of time, uh, but uh, I think we've, we've covered it rather well, um, and uh, thanks to you, Chester. And, uh, but stick with me. We're going we're gonna to give away a few things, uh, one-year membership to the Fly Fishers International, subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, and a copy of your book, Yellowstone Runners. So, Stay with me just a few more minutes. We'll give away those prizes, and then we'll call it a night. So. Sounds great. Okay. The Bristol Bay region of southwest Alaska is home to the largest runs of wild salmon on the planet and some of the best trophy rainbow trout fishing found anywhere. The Pebble Mine still remains a threat to the region, and 2 million acres of federal lands may also be at risk. The entire fly fishing industry is united in this epic conservation battle. Anglers from across the country are joining the fight. Be one of them. Visit savebristolbay.org to learn more uh, and find out how you can get involved. That's again, savebristolbay.org. Uh, just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave our website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on uh, our homepage in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of the show? Just click on that link, leave your comments, and we'd really appreciate it. Well, now it's time to give away a few prizes. Um, the winners for these drawings are randomly selected from a show's registration database. If you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for the next show. 
Uh, you don't want to miss out on, on getting a chance to win one of these great prizes we have to offer. So if you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show and, and uh, get you hooked up so that you can uh, receive your prize. So our first uh, giveaway is for a one-year membership to the Fly Fishers International. Again, to learn more about them, go to flyfishersinternational.org. If you don't get a membership tonight, go there and join anyway. Uh, it's a good uh, organization to support. And our winner for that is Dick Red Rednick. Dick Rednick in Massachusetts. So, uh, uh, Dick, congratulations on your membership, and uh, we'll get you all hooked up on that. And our second giveaway is a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal by Amato Books. So, thanks to Amato for for providing that uh, subscription. And to find out more about what Amato has to offer, go to amatobooks.com. We've got lots of books on fly fishing and uh, also periodicals as well. And our winner for that is Doug Bannis, Doug Bannis uh, in Alabama. So um, uh, congratulations, Doug, on winning that subscription. And now we'll give away a copy of Chester's book, uh, Yellowstone Runners. Uh, and thanks, Chester, for providing that uh, tonight as a prize. And... Um, then you'll get a uh, full list of Chester's flies there that we were talking about. I guess, I guess maybe it's not so bad, but <laughs> I just uh, I go, yeah, you come well prepared. That's all I can say, Chester. You're well prepared, and you've been there so many times that I'm sure that list is, you know, super com comprehensive, and uh, I wouldn't want to be without it. So. <laughs> so if you don't win Chester's book, buy Chester's book, and then you'll get that list of all those great flies So and a lot of great stories he has to tell about that section. Of, uh, of Yellowstone. So um, let's see here. Um, there's a particular kind of fishing that goes on around uh, barns, holes, or pools, depending on what you want to call it. Um, it's a particular kind of fishing that only seems to happen there. What's it called? What's it called? Okay, so I'm uh, just waiting for some answers here. You answer this question in that text box on the home page. Text box on the home page. Particular style of fishing that people do in groups there uh, in the Barnes Hole area. Barnes Holes area. Uh, nope, uh, not swinging flies. I was looking for something. Oh, here we go. I think this is it. Uh, the conga line. Is that it, Chester? Yeah, that's it. They're swinging that's flies, it. but they're in a conga line. So. Yeah. <laughs> but the conga line is what I was looking for. Joyce uh, Deming in Golden, Colorado, uh, you're the winner. And uh, so uh, we'll get you uh, – send your address uh, in the same text box if you'd like, um, so I've got your email address and your name here. Uh, just send your address in there or send it to info at askaboutflyfishing.com, info at askaboutflyfishing.com, and then uh, Chester will send you out uh, a book uh, directly to you, uh, the Yellowstone Runners book. So those of you that uh, didn't win the book, go out to Amazon and uh, or get a hold of Chester, and uh, he can uh, hook you up with one of his books. Uh, sounds like a great, great um place to go fish and a unique experience. So uh, congratulations, Joyce. And uh, 
Thank you so much, uh, Chester, for joining us again and sharing your knowledge. It was a blast, and I'm thinking about doing this uh, three-, four-week trip next uh, fall with my buddy, and maybe we'll put that on the list to uh, take a visit. Sounds like a, a well, If you do, give me a call, and we can, we can go to fly wet together for a day or two. Yeah, yeah, sounds good, sounds good. But thanks so much for sharing your knowledge tonight, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was a great time, and uh, hope we can do it again and uh, learn about okay. those secret bass places next time. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All righty. Thanks. Our okay. next broadcast will be on uh, November 21st, uh, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. On that show, I'm going to interview Terry Myers, and our topic for the show will be a steelhead quest for awareness. Terry has guided for steelhead most of her professional life and has been involved in conservation efforts to preserve the species. To bring awareness to the plight of the steelhead, she went on a quest to catch a steelhead in every month of the year and write about it as she fished. Join us to hear about her quest and become educated in the future of steelhead. We'd like to thank Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Watermaster, Baja Fly Fishing Company, for sponsoring our show tonight. And don't forget to visit our website, askaboutflyfishing.com, and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.